If you've got a, a Bible with you, which I hope you do, get to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to start there and kind of be throughout the Scriptures today. Today we begin a new message series that we're calling Jesus Is, where we are looking at various titles of who Jesus is. Today is, is Jesus is Lord. It's vital that we be reminded from the Scriptures that on who Jesus is, we must not fall into the trap on us defining who Jesus is, but allow the Word of God to do that. And these are present-day titles of Jesus, remember, because He is eternal. He didn't come into existence at Christmas. He came in the flesh, but not into existence. And He is most certainly not still hanging on a cross or buried in a tomb. But He rose on the third day, walked out of the tomb, later ascended to heaven, one day will return to judge the living and the dead. So these are present-day titles of Jesus, which remind us of who He is. And why does that matter? Well, because who he is defines and determines how we, his people, are called to live. Who he is should be shaping the way of life of a believer. Who he is should be transforming our minds and our hearts and our day-to-day actions and attitudes. And for those of you who don't trust in Jesus yet, I pray that as we look at these titles throughout the month of December on who Jesus is, that you might put your wholehearted trust in him. Because listen, he's too good. He's too infinite, too wise, too strong, too loving for you not to trust in Him, for you not to fall at your feet and worship Him. For this morning, we're looking at the truth that Jesus is Lord, and C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, I'm trying here to uh, prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about, about Him, about Jesus, which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. That's one of the things we must not say, Lewis writes. A man who is merely a man and and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, You can spit on him and kill him as a demon, Lewis writes, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Either this man was or is the Son of God. We have choices to make. Are we going to more or less spit on him? Or are we going to fall at his feet and worship him? Because he's that good. Jesus is Lord. The only right response to, the tr- to that truth is that we fall in worshipful trust and praise. If we are not falling at His feet in response to the truth that Jesus is Lord, then the reality is, is that we still see ourselves as our own Lord, as our own authority. And we're all born with that very sin nature tendency to rebel, resist, reject the good and loving authority of a creator God who created us in his image and likeness, fearfully and wonderfully made, in order that we might worship and be devoted to him, in order that we might enjoy life with him in this life and in eternity. But our sin nature that we are born with has been passed down from generation to generation, from Genesis 3 on, tells us, no, 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 life is found apart from the Lord. Life is found when you're the one calling the shots, when you're the one leading the show. And since Genesis 3, humanity has believed those lies from our spiritual enemy, thinking that life and freedom and rest are found in us being our own Lord. 
prior to coming to faith in Christ, that's exactly what I believed. I thought that the person most qualified to lead my life was me. But under my self-centered leadership, under my very limited wisdom, I had led myself into dead ends and crooked paths such as hidden and destructive enslaving sin, self-righteousness and pride, an enslaving works-based mentality thinking that, that my good works could somehow cover up my sin or properly heal my sin-diseased hearts. It, it's utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense what I believed, what my apparent wisdom was leading me toward. Jesus always has been Lord, always will be Lord. He didn't become Lord at his birth. He didn't cease death. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. The only question for us is do we follow him as Lord? Do we trust in him as Lord? So I pray that individually and collectively we would fall at his feet today. That if we are Christ followers, we would renew our desire to daily bow our knee to him. And if you're not Christ followers, that you would come to faith in him. You would receive him into your life today. The Gospel of Luke gives one of the accounts of his birth. We'll start in chapter 2, read verses 1 through 11. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to, to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for him, or for her, to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over, the, over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now to a first century Jew reading that account or hearing that the angel announced the birth of Jesus in that way, that would be shocking to those shepherds out in the field. This, this whole event is shocking, but to hear the announcement that this baby being born is Lord that would have been surprising to them, to say the least. Because the word that the angel used there for Lord is used over 6,800 times in the, in, in the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. And the vast majority of those times, it's used to describe the name of the creator, the sustainer of heaven and earth, the omnipotent God. For instance, in Deuteronomy 6.4, we read, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one the Lord who is the creator of the heavens and earth, the Lord who is eternal from everlasting, the Lord who is not created but has always existed, who is beyond time and space, who is high, majestic, glorious, holy, all-knowing, all-wise, ever-present in this world. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. And so the shepherds are listening. The readers who read this account later are thinking, What? The baby who was born in Bethlehem is the Lord? The omnipotent God, the one who is over the universe because the things were created, all things were created by him 
in heaven and on earth, visible and the invisible, who is above all thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, an infant? The story goes on in verse 13. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message. They were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. All those who heard were amazed for various reasons, including that this baby that Mary and Joseph are holding, that they're rejoicing in, that they are caring for and loving and feeding, is the Lord. And even before Jesus was born, when he was still in utero, growing in his mother Mary, Mary sets out to visit, visit Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, and then Luke 1, starting in verse 41, says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The child who is not born yet is the Lord, Elizabeth is declaring. Mother of my Lord, she says, because or before this baby is even born, Elizabeth's heart is bowed in worship to him. Why? Because he's Lord, even there in Mary's belly. And then the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John detail the life of Jesus the Lord. Fast forward as John the Baptist and Jesus are men now, no longer babies, Matthew 3, 1 through 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near, for he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah who said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist's public ministry began before Jesus. And so John's role in the kingdom was to prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus, point people to the coming Savior. And there at the end, in verse 3, John is quoting from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3, written seven centuries before this moment in Matthew. And Isaiah is prophesying that the Lord Jesus will come and John will be the one to prepare the way for him. And now, 700 years later, that prophecy is coming to pass. And Jesus the Lord is here. And as his ministry begins and throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus identifies himself as the Lord. For instance, in John 10.30, Jesus says that he, is, he and the Father are one. In John 8.19, 8, he's telling the people, if you knew me, you'd know the Father. In John 8.58, Jesus tells the crowd, truly I tell you, before Abraham, before Abraham was, I am. And who's Abraham? He's the father of the Israelite nation, walked the earth during the days of Moses, or during the days of Genesis. First book in your Bible, and Jesus is saying, I existed before Abraham. Long before I walked in the flesh. And the only way that I existed then is if I am the Lord. Jesus says, I am. Which is the same way that the Lord described himself to Moses when Moses says, who do I tell the people who you are? In Exodus 3.14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So in John 8, Jesus is saying, I was there in creation. I was there along with the Father and the Spirit, the eternal triune God, each fully God yet personally distinct from each other. Jesus is Lord. He is the I am, meaning we don't define who he is. He defines for himself who he is. And we are to live in reflection of that. Now to that ongoing declaration in the Gospels that Jesus is Lord, two types of responses occur in the people. Some reject and some receive. To use C.S. Lewis' words, some shut him up as a fool, spit on him, eventually kill him. Others fall at his feet in worship. For instance, in John 8, after Jesus says, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am, the next verse then says, So they, the crowds who he was speaking to, so they picked up stones to throw at him. That doesn't sound like receiving that sounds like rejecting. Jesus says in John 15, 23, the one who hates me also hates my father. When the people were rejecting him, they were at the same time rejecting the father. So one response of the truth that Jesus was and is Lord is this wholehearted rejection. And ultimately where that led was the cross of Calvary, the crowd eventually shouting, crucify him. And according to God's sovereign plan of redemption, that is what occurs. Jesus, the one with all authority, willingly and joyfully lays down his life for the salvation of all who would believe and trust in him. The Lord, the all-powerful one, the eternal one who took on flesh on a mission to seek and save those who are lost, dies upon the cross, dies in our place, substitutes himself so that through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, we could be saved and be given new life and because he is Lord, the story, praise God, doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with a bloodied man on a cross. It doesn't stop with a dead man in a tomb. He has the authority to lay down his life. He has the authority to take it back up on the third day. It's what Jesus declares in John 10, starting in verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father... I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it back up again. I have received this command from the Father because Jesus is Lord. All authority is His. Now again, if you read the next few verses, you see the reality of Jesus being Lord causes reaction. Verse 19, again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who's demon-possessed. How, how can a demon open the eyes of the blind? How do you personally respond to the truth that Jesus is Lord? I'm not talking about what the right thing is to say or what you would confess with your lips. I'm saying, does your way of life, your daily actions, your attitudes confess that Jesus is Lord of your life? See, we either receive him or we reject him. There is no third option. 
So the Lord Jesus joyfully lays down his life. But by the power of the Spirit of God comes back to life, experiences bodily resurrection on the third day. Then in John 20, we read the account of Jesus appearing to Thomas, the Thomas who was struggling with unbelief and doubt, who notoriously said, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. And then starting in verse 26, a week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Then how does Thomas respond? Verse 28, Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. This is a personal confession of faith and trust. Thomas has moved from unbelief to belief, from doubt to trust. Before, Thomas was thinking he could, be, he could provide the best leadership of himself. Now he's just witnessed the one who days earlier had hung on a cross. And now the one who was bloodied upon that cross has come back to life, not as a ghost, but as a bodily resurrected, eating, drinking, fellowshipping among them. He beat death. And you think, and I thought, that we're better at leading our life than him? He beat death. Only the Lord himself beats death. And Thomas will spend the rest of his life following and trusting in Jesus as Lord. So then following the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, we see the New Testament church continually proclaim that Jesus is Lord. The church launches in Acts 2, and in verse 36, Peter says this to the crowd. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's telling this group of people who had previously shouted to crucify Jesus. He's now telling them, you killed him. You crucified him. He is Lord. God raised him from the dead. And then verse 37, it says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? How do we respond to this reality that we recognize our sin and he is our savior? What do we do with that? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 41, we read about 3,000 people that day moved from rejecting to receiving, from dismissing and disregarding Jesus to falling at his feet in worship. Today, we celebrated with Luke and the Lord's work in his life and how by God's grace, he has moved from rejecting to receiving, from thinking he was the most qualified to lead his life to now bowing his feet, the feet of his life, if you will, to Jesus the only one who can lead us into eternal life and rest, joy, and freedom. Some of you are at where Luke was at, prior to faith in Christ as Lord. And so I plead with you to repent. Repent from your rejection. Receive Jesus. Bow your knees to Him. He's too good. He's too good to not. Romans 10, 9-13 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes on Him will not be put to shame. 
since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon the Lord today, friends. The Lord of all richly blesses all who call on Him, who fall at His feet in trust and faith, who confess with their lips and confess with the actions of their life that Jesus is Lord, that He is faithful to save. You have not run too far from Him to save. You are also not too good that you don't need a Savior. Receive Him today. Jesus is Lord. So how do, how do believers, how do we respond to that truth? I want to go back to Deuteronomy 6. We read verse 4 earlier, but I want to read all the way through verse 9 today. Practical counsel on how we respond to Jesus being Lord. Verse 4 again in Deuteronomy 6. Listen to Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be upon your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your home or sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So here are two actions for us to live out in response to verse 4, that Jesus is Lord. The first is we are commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. These words that I'm giving you today, he says, are to be upon your heart. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus says in John 14, 21, that those who obey his commands are the ones who love him. Those who welcome his word to be written on their heart, internalized into their minds and life. That's one way we express our devotion to and trust in Jesus. That is one way we fall at, at his feet, if you will. When we declare that to the Lord, we don't want to follow our way. We want to follow you and your way and your wisdom. Jesus says in Luke six forty six, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We don't want that to be said of our lives. I don't want that to be said of my life. Because the next couple of verses tell us that those people didn't actually know the Lord. And the Lord did not know them. And he tells them to depart. He never knew them. So eternity is going to be spent in separation from a good shepherd. We want to be a people who hear the Lord and joyfully respond, knowing his commands are not a burden. His commands instead lead to life. Exodus 20, verse 3, calls us to have no other gods or lords before the one true Lord. So when we reject idols, when we repent of worshiping empty and lifeless lords, we express our love to the Lord. We are saying this small L Lord over here, the Lord of money, the Lord of stuff, the Lord of comfort, the Lord of substance, the Lord of isolation, the Lord of me, myself, and I, and a thousand other ones. We're saying, we're not going to bow down to this small L Lord over here because it's not worthy of our trust. It's not worthy of our life's affection, our life's attention. Only Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, we're going to live in awe and reverent awe of Him and His glory, His purposes, His kingdom. Jesus is Lord, and one way we, re we respond to that is loving Him supremely above all else and obeying Him faithfully. Secondly, Deuteronomy calls us to share and tell others the good news of 
the Lord, to tell the next generation, including children and grandchildren, if we have them. The good news of Jesus being Lord is to go out from neighborhoods to the nations, from generations before us to generations after us, so that more and more people might confess that, that Christ is Lord, receive eternal life, be brought into the family of God. This Advent season, may we share of the gospel prayerfully as we go, as a way of life, at home, along the road, throughout our days, remaining prayerful because the Lord is the one who opens the door. And when the doors open, we want to be able to speak of the mystery of Christ with clarity, Colossians 4 calls us to. Prayerfully, with clarity, seasoned with grace, seasoned with, with truth, that our words would be gracious, seasoned with salt. We want to show and tell of the good news, of great joy that will be for all the people that a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. His name is Jesus, and He continually is saving lives. That no one has run too far, and no one is too good in not, to not be in need of a Savior. That The gospel is for all. Before we move back into worship, we're going to celebrate and be reminded of His sacrifice upon the cross through communion. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to take communion. You don't, you don't need to be a member of Crosspoint. Our First Impressions team will be, begin passing uh, down the, the, the rows, cups that have both the juice and the wafer on top. After those are passed, we're, we'll take that together as one unified body of Christ. But, but this is an opportunity for us to pause as Advent season moves and begins and moves into the month that we would pause and be prayerful and respond to the word of God that we've opened and looked at today. And then we'll take that together, take the elements together as one church family. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. All authority in heaven and on earth is yours, and we are grateful. May such truth lead us to a life of hope, to a posture of hope, as well as to a posture of rest in your goodness, in your sovereign wisdom. No one is higher than you. No one is greater in this world than you and you alone. Forgive us for thinking that we are the, the best leaders of our own lives. Enable us by your grace to daily fall at your feet and worship and trust. Jesus, we confess that you are a good shepherd, not only in our salvation, but for the rest of our life the one who laid down your life and took it back up again, thank you for giving us new life in you. So in response to the gospel, in response to how you first loved us, first forgave us, Lord, enable us by your Spirit's power and by your grace to respond in worshipful trust to you. To love you, to be devoted to you, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be glorified by our way of life. May your name be what is seen and heard through our way of life. We pray this in your name. Amen.
Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.